0: I'll give you some Yacht Rock if you want. You came from somewhere back in her long
1: ago. That's good. Yacht Rock is Claire's That's like one of my top five kid songs. Yeah, Yacht that's Rock. That's right is my up Claire's alley.
0: Yeah. The business of culture, the culture of business, markets, policy, media and technology, creatives. Full disclosure, I am Robin Farzad.
2: I've said it to you before, like you have a talent. I love watching, I love listening to you. I love watching you live. And I just feel like your audience isn't only sitting in the car for a 52 minute podcast, right? Or coming to your live show. I feel like they're everywhere.
0: We have been on the air for nine years and running now. But here's a first just as the show readies a ramp up into various new formats. I mean, audience live video live, video plus audio remote, walk and talk, more music. Stay tuned. You'll learn more. I'm turning the tables and asking my creative co-conspirators for their tough love. That's right. An hour of introspection, soul searching, vulnerability. Give a listen and please do get in touch, dear listener. As I like to say, my DMs are always open. Stay with us. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon and Ludwin a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salmon & Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link is FullDRadio.com. You can follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn and handle FullDRadio. And a shout out to our listeners on WVTF Radio IQ, Virginia's NPR news station. You can DM me to carry Full Disclosure on your air. Joining us from various parts of Richmond, Glen Allen, Henrico, Central Virginia are my co producers, Claire Morgan and Case Graham of Notterly. They are both independent musicians, bookers, they've been bartenders, drink slingers, event promoters. I am lucky to have them. And we're doing this. Look, it could be really indulgent to talk about ourselves after nine years, as full disclosure, but. The show is about to evolve, and I hope that it doesn't come across as indulgent and that it's more vulnerable. And we're opening up our books to you and opening our souls. Welcome, Claire and Case. How are you?
1: Doing well. Oh, good, thanks. How are you?
0: We just had a series of meetings and a breakfast ahead of these various live shows that we're going to be doing starting this fall back at the University of Richmond, coming back bigly after COVID. It starts with Sunny Boeja. Then we have Steve Inskeep of NPR, Rashida Jones of MSNBC. A huge show in December with Mayor Pete, Secretary Pete Buttigieg, at Modlin And many big shows that we're planning in the spring. Some rock acts. I mean, I'm not allowed to blow the cover on them yet. But we thought this was a great time to discuss morphing the show straight up from kind of radio and podcast into something more multimedia bells and whistles. Now, we are of different generations. As you see, I'm a, a stale Gen X old man, and you are very much kind of heavily tattooed millennials. <laughs> and uh, you are taste makers, if you will. And you came to me and said, Mr., we got to catch up with the times. You're not on YouTube. You're not getting the kind of outreach that you might want to get on Instagram or Friendster or MySpace or whatever it is you guys are on. So a- am I right in this self-assessment?
1: I think it's less that and more, let's have more fun and let's figure out a more complete way to tell your story and the stories of the people that you speak to, you know. And I think that you are such a wonderful human. I want to see more of you documented on top of what you, you know, show the world via guests, you know.
0: But why, Claire Morgan? I have a face for radio.
1: You do not. Um, by
0: By way of background, you were the first person you helped me at the end of 2013 pilot This show and we reconnected. You know, I went off and did it for a low power radio station, WRIR, initially, and we connected during the pandemic. I remember where recording techniques changed. We weren't booking people at NPR studios, we had to learn on the fly, but there was also a real blossoming of the podcast world in that kind of content boom of the pandemic. And coming out of that, I got to meet Case and You know the body of work case and the the various other things that we could have done. You've both been, I think you've been to the Nada Surf Show, which I look back at fondly at the National in autumn of 2019, where things were really picking up back then. Silver Sun pickups came on afterwards. I had a concert concept, I had a comedy concept, and then the world just shut down because of the pandemic. So here we are trying to pick up the pieces from it in the wake of everything that happened and remote work and work from home and frankly all the technology that has changed i mean So many guests now have podcasting mics. So many of them know how to use Riverside or Zencast or the various things. So you want to be able to tap the kind of the multimedia bells and whistles. We know that cable TV is declining. Traditional media is declining. There are cord cutters everywhere. But people are going to news sources directly over YouTube, over Snap, over Insta. Talk to me about that case.
3: I definitely think that people are choosing to get their news from platforms like Instagram, even, you know, you can go online and you can follow your news outlet and that's where you get your news or your individual correspondent that you just like the way that they put out the information. It makes sense to you. So definitely just wanting to make you more accessible because you have a lot to say and a lot that people want to hear. And I think that that is what we wanted to do is kind of just revamp. Nine years is a long time.
0: Yes, we need a a good spring cleaning and revamping. Mm -hmm. You know, if I say there's a metaphor, we are kind of at a Piedmont right now. We are at base camp looking up at, Something that's about to happen with the University of Richmond. We've experimented, Claire and Case. You guys were there for our first big live show in a long time in Charlottesville with Margaret Brennan and Face the Nation back in May. And you wanted to get some B-roll and some other footage and some sense of place. And after that, you really had a hankering to meet and say, look, we should be doing more with these because we have people who are willing to come out with us. They get the welcome from the university, the pride of place from the university. Where necessary, where it can work, students will help us cope produce we sell books we have food there's a real great unique concept in that I'm giving the guest an NPR episode you're offering them a high def you know documentary hd documentary and they're getting the live show and the the reception from the university and so it's really unique and especially if I go back Claire if you think back to the Not a Surf episode Silver Sun pickups David Lowry at Rainmaker where we we have the footage mm-hmm. and you guys can get it from Lucas crossed All that stuff was amazing as proof of concept before the pandemic. Like You could get into the entrepreneurial story with a band or a singer, and then there could be a set afterwards, or do the same with a chef like we did with Chef Peter Chang or Brittany Anderson, and there's a meal afterwards, or we want to do it with comedians. We've pitched Pete Yorn. We're talking to the Scandinavian band, The Hives. In New York, this this dog can hunt. So that's my, I mean, it's a long-winded way of saying I'm excited, but I also have some trepidation technologically because, as you guys know, I understand the cardioid mic. I understand roughly in a pinch, if a guest doesn't have anything, they can do an iPhone voice record. But our listeners out there want so much more. For example, YouTube is booming, and I am not on YouTube at all, maybe save for my TV appearances. I can't believe (laughs)
3: that. But tell me
0: how this is going to... YouTube as a podcasting channel, as a video podcasting channel, tell me how that's going to work.
1: Yeah, I think this whole project of revamping the podcast is really just a selfish thing for me because I'm trying to binge Robin and... (laughs) And the only way I can bend you is if we just make a bunch of videos and get them on YouTube regularly and have some different conversations in different spots around town, around the country, and just kind of experiment with what sort of fun we can have and what we can create. I'm really interested in creating content that, again, like is speaking to you as a person in addition to what you bring.
0: And let me tell you guys what the insecurity was that, and the, to the extent that we're talking about, full disclosure right here, you know, you're always taught, I remember meeting with an NPR editor back in 2011, maybe it was in Manhattan, when I had this dream of going off and starting a public radio show. He's a great veteran of NPR. He's now at CBS This Morning, and he had this dog-eared thing. I said, listen, I had this dream of going off and starting an NPR show, and he took this thing out of his wallet from when he was on NPR, and he's like, these are the things that a good NPR host does, a good person, you're always look, it's not about you at all. It's about your listener. And this has been something that's been great about NPR, but it's also been a limitation that you've seen a lot of people leave for the podcasting world. You see Sam Sanders and others say that, or Lulu Garcia-Navarra, it was such a straitjacket and the podcasting division is different from broadcast and news and opinion seeping into it. And so I have been trained, especially as a you know investigative reporter, it's not about you. Keep yourself out of it. And yet many of my guests people who get in touch say that I value you for your curation. It is about you. You're telling me who I should listen to this week. If I find, for example, a couple months ago was a former editor of Money Magazine who's now a a high school teacher for at-risk youth, that's my curation. I sought that out. I mean, nobody told me I had to have him on, but I had a different angle on that. I mean, why did I seek out Nada Surf? Why did I go and meet with the band's agent in Brian Park in New York said, Listen, you guys are a business story. Because if you think about, you know, the backstory of how if you listen to that episode, they had the audacity to approach the late Rico Cassick of the Cars with a mixtape. And then they got dumped by their record label. And it was actually a business story. And when they turned around, I was like, Oh, I get it. It's a business story. Or Maz Jabrani, the comedian, when I told him he's like, I, I appreciate you wanting to have me on. We're Iranians, but how am I a business story? I was like, Well, You've been on Showtime and HBO and Comedy Central and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and all these things as a comedian, but I understand you're crowdfunding your original screenplay. Why is it that you know, you're golden in one respect, you're hitchhiking kind of in another? And he's like, oh, I get it. And I think that's my moment when guests, prospective guests say, oh, I see. You're kind of coming in through this corridor. And no one else has interviewed me about that. So Case, I mean, speak to that. Because again, it's this matrix of... Indulgent versus transparent and looking out and curating for my listeners.
3: Right. I think that we talked about transparency a lot in our conversation when we had breakfast at the diner. It's what everybody wants from a news investigative reporter. It's a no-brainer that we go ahead and take the show in that direction, in more of that direction. We haven't had trouble with it in the past, but now with all these platforms that are out, all these toys we have, all this technology we have. So we have the capabilities now to take the podcast and, you know, make it more relatable.
0: Yeah, that gives me good on. Entree- Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to our special, transparently indulgent self-analysis introspection episode. We're kind of nine years into this, and at the foot of a mountain where a big series of live shows are going to happen, we could call the working internal title for that is Fullest... Disclosure. Fullest disclosure is when you have the live, the big honking live show. Obviously with the hour-long plus podcast, which goes over for musical performances and other things. And the documentary which you guys are shooting, that that kind of combo meal that that makes me happy, that I've been dreaming of, and we're getting closer to that. Um, We mentioned the possibility, and Claire, you helped pilot this, Fuller Disclosure is the working title. We had Kevin Griffin of Better Than Ezra on several months ago, and this is a person with a studio in Tennessee and decent microphone and uh, video assets, and he's able to do this kind of thing with us on Riverside, where... You're able to see the true uh, heart of the conversation and the performance. I would say there's Full Disclosure, which is just the, the really the straight-up podcast and radio show, weekly radio show, 52 minutes, or we run long if we have extra stuff. And Claire, your son came up with the idea because you explained the technology to me of working title half disclosure, uh, a walking type video thing with a person I find interesting. You guys taught me, I think these these Shure mics that I didn't even know they existed. They look like little garage door openers on your lapel and they capture audio and you can be filming me with a fascinating person that I might just want to talk to and film walking. I know it sounds uh, local news-like, but I love doing that kind of stuff. And there are people that would totally be game And to Case's point, this would give us an inventory of content. I really want you to see the Not A Surf footage where Lucas really went nuts with a camera crew. I mean, he followed them from the airport to the hotel where they were jamming in the hotel room. So cool. You know, in my mind's eye, if I'm interviewing, let's say, Pete Buttigieg in December, right? That's going to be a big show. I want to go back to his college experience. I want to go out to him coming out, what that was like. I want to go back to Harvard. I want to go back to running for president. And I want that archival footage kind of spliced into it. As you guys know, one of the uh, inspirations has been inside the actor's studio, where you can kind of do that, where you can go from My candid conversation with the person on stage, you see the audience reactions, and you go back to photography or candid stuff, or same with Sonny Boija, who'll be talking about coming to the United States, who'll be talking about setting up things, bootstrapping it. Steve Inskeep on this Lincoln book, and when I turn it around about his career, I mean, you could imagine that with Margaret Brennan. When we were talking to her in May, I think she was surprised that I said— Let me start this conversation with Charlottesville because you're a graduate of UVA. You can imagine us in post-production saying, okay, splice to the picture of her at graduation in her cap and gown, splice to a picture of her with Louis Rukeyser, you know, fresh out of this in the early aughts. That's the kind of the vision we have for something like this, eminently consumable over YouTube or Vimeo or Insta or whatever it is.
3: Absolutely. I could hear this taking place in a kitchen where... A chef is explaining what he's doing. You have the entire conversation, like a walk and talk. You know, they show you their kitchen or they show you whatever they want. And then we can slice that together with, you know, pictures of when they first started cooking. What inspired them to start cooking? Was it a family member? Was it a friend? Was it a mentor? Did they see a TV show that they just like got obsessed with? It's endless. And so I would love to be able to show that side. So I think that's an exciting thing for us to be able to do.
1: Robin, you have done such a great job with bridging the gaps between business and culture and music and sports and television, all of it under one umbrella. And you kind of walk that line and give us all of the things that we could want in one podcast. So I'm I'm into it.
0: It's hard. It's kind of like being a parent. With certain things in the cupboard and the refrigerator, and having to make it exciting every week. And as you guys know, from a self-awareness perspective, I try really hard to not seem indulgent or something. When I do fanboy about something, I'm I, I joke about it. Fanboying, for example, last year I had my brother on right. last summer, and I said my brother, my mentor. And I thought, you know what? It's a late summer thing. I can explain to people that I'm going out on a limb doing it. And I was blown away. And we're going to have him on to close this episode again. I was blown away to the extent that people liked it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't immediately reflexively looked at as like, dude, you're just having your executive brother on. You know, there are times when I'm sitting with him in Miami. We're at Flanagan's or we're having a bite together. And it's so amazing to me because he's he's my baby brother. You know, he's six years younger than me. I remember coming home from kindergarten and kissing his kiwi head. And it was one of the best memories that I ever had. And now here I am in middle age, Turning around, like the tables have really turned, and I'm asking him advice. And there are times when I wish there was a candid camera thing in the bar or the restaurant. It's like, if if the listener could just see my insecurities, could get a window into my insecurities and the things that he's tapping into. You know, he sat me down after that show in Charlottesville mm-hmm. the morning after we had breakfast in a coffee house right across the street from the hotel. And he said, "Listen, I'm going to give you praise, and I'm going to give you tough love. I know this is your first live show. I know you recently had some health problems. And what's up with the wrinkle-free shirt? You know, what's up with the belt buckle? What's up with like, uh, you know, this? He he chewed oh. this out. This conceit, which has been a running joke on Room Raider, that this is what I have set up. Like I didn't put any thought into a step and repeat." And this is a very 1992 look. And Room Raider on Twitter jokes with me that, you know, I have the mutiny license plate, the full disclosure. (laughs) Oh, oh, Venetian. I don't even know what those are called. But he's like, you know what, at least get a good backdrop going on or do something respectable. And that's a person who really pays attention to form and substance. When they pitch a company, they do an incredible, like 150-page super glossy. They don't half-bake anything. He says the pixels should connect on your logo, on your email. All these things, you shouldn't have a Google Voice box. You know, you shouldn't have a Gmail on anything. All these things telegraph to the world that you're serious and you pay attention to detail. Right. What do you guys think about that?
3: Growing up, my dad used to really impress upon me dress for success, dress for the job that you want. I have a lot of respect for the fact that you talk so highly of your brother and you have so much respect for your brother. That's what makes this interesting.
1: You know, your listenership loves you. And so they're not going to be Annoyed or frustrated that you're interviewing your brother, they're going to be stoked about it. You know,
3: I'm stoked about it. I can't wait to listen to the last 20 of this uh, podcast. I'm not sure about the first. Uh, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: <laughs> Take a minute to understand this. So, with NPR, what the, the most coveted franchise right now at NPR, I mean, for an older audience, you could say Fresh Air or Terry Gross that sells a lot of books, but Generationally, it's tiny desk. And Tiny Desk is by definition lo-fi where a band shows up. Taylor Swift shows up at NPR headquarters as a mob outside. She performs on a, you know, messy desk and a bookshelf and everything. I want to take that a step further. I want to ask what the business backstory was, the business e backstory. Right. There might be people who didn't realize that a business angle to it. When I had Silver Sun pickups. On in Rainmaker, which again, it was such a beautiful thing. I, I did that in December of 2019. And I remember sitting with my brother in the parking lot of our favorite restaurant in Miami after we ate. And we're just pondering where the future of this show is, not knowing that the pandemic is about to shut down the entire world. And he just played the SoundCloud of this music. And they they played the track Kissing Families. It was just the, the bassist and the lead singer and the guitarist, because there was not enough room for the drummer or the keyboardist or anything. And just chills down my spine. Like, that was a figment of my imagination. I had these people at the national, and then I had the audacity to pitch Silver Sun Pickups. Right. Oh, you happen to be coming to the national? You know, I did it with Kristen O'Connor at Rainmaker Studios. We ordered some bottoms-up pizza. They had bottles of Belle Isle moonshine sitting around, and this band was just like, "Wow, Mister, you having us in studio?" And when I asked these questions about the band's history, you know, Silver Sun Pickups. I think it was the name of a liquor store in Silver Lake, California, and they have to go do silver, you know, Silver Sun, or um, and they do their daily run. Their do daily their daily run, run over there. And they're yeah, like, no one yeah, has yeah. ever asked this business type things. The other mm-hmm. guest I had in that studio was David Lowry of Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven, who is now a professor who teaches you know, music at the University of Georgia, like music history, music theory. But chiefly, he's also a torchbearer in the fight against Spotify. And this is someone who mm, has right. a cult following. He started off in Richmond. I think it was called um, Kerosene Hat was that album, Claire. Mm. And we asked, like Kerosene Hat is like, we lived in such a dumpy flop house that we had this kerosene powered heater and whoever's turn it was to fill the kerosene thing at the gas station had to wear the kerosene hat and come back with kerosene. I mean, that (laughs) was, you know, that was before that. Who with you girls like be alone. Hey, hey. And that whole story. And now he's a PhD and he's fighting Spotify and he's burning his own CDs Mm -hmm. at concerts because I don't care if you have a CD player or not. I'm not going to pay, I'm not going to do this for a couple pennies every 2,000 streams on Spotify. And he and Amy Mann and other people are banding together. And there was a real through line to that that was really beautiful on top of the fact that he picked up an acoustic guitar and played music. So going back from 2019 to the present, that's four years ago, but pandemic really shut us down. It's really exciting to resume this. It's really exciting for me to take the pitch to Pete Yorn, someone who I saw at Bowery Ballroom at the turn of the century, someone who has an amazing backstory to it. It's exciting when the hives get in touch or Margaret Cho or Cindy Wilson of the B-52s. I've pitched Spoon. I've pitched The War on Drugs. I'm confident- (laughs) that the concept works. This kind of Farzadian type interview, part of it is fanboy, followed by a set. And everybody who's watching that, I just remember, Claire, you were in that audience, right? Yeah. Everybody who's watching that is like, this is very one of a kind. I'm never gonna see this again. This community and everything, you know?
1: Yeah. Case and I are both musicians, so we both grew up playing music and going to shows. And, you know, Not A Surf was a huge band for me coming up, you know, getting high-low in my CD player in my car back in, like, 1995. Mid-90s. Yeah, and, you know, playing as loud as I could while I drove my friends to school. So seeing Not A Surf in person talking about their journey and, like... How they came up to get a chance to hear about artists that you have appreciated and respected for so many years.
0: I mean, and the imposter syndrome I felt when I'm there pitching the publicist, Ben Weber, in Bryant Park that summer of 2019 or of spring of 2019. I'm like, guys, trust me. They're like, well, okay, fine. Why don't we do it in Brooklyn for the band's 25th anniversary? I was like, no, please, my people are in Richmond. My assets are in Richmond. This venue is historic. And I didn't know anything by the time they got here I was like okay this is our rider. I literally went to Kroger and picked up various organic dressings and carrots. Wait, and-
3: really you were craft?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know it's kind of fake Wait, until you it, make this was it with, because
3: um, did you do this as Silver Sun?
0: No, Silver Sun, Silver Sun. You know Kristen O'Connor at Rainmaker, who I worked with when I did the pilots, who's been a great mentor and source for me. She knew if you have these people coming to the studio, and she likes them too. She ordered a bunch of pizzas, a bunch of plates, um, had all these Belle Isle moonshine gifts, and the band was like, oh. "Wow, this pizza is so special." And I was like, "This is so un." You musicians guys, are just musicians.
3: We just want some pizza, man.
0: Yeah. But you, I have the footage where I'm sitting there and they're like, dude, you know, I'm, I'm being a fanboy. It's like that skit in SNL with the late Chris Farley and Paul McCartney. Like, do you remember that time you did like, you know, <laughs> and I was like that. And Silver Sun's like, this is an honor that yeah. we're here with you. And I was like, this is an honor that you're here with me. And I think that's what's authentic. You want to talk about transparent. Somebody who I had a disagreement with in kind of public radio is like, we can't just always have bands that you know because you like them. I was like, no, there's an interesting story in this. And I hope that my enthusiasm for this is contagious. And I'll tell you guys, whether it's that or Margaret Brennan or Peter Chang, or it's going to be this case with Pete Buttigieg and Steve Inskeep and Rashida Jones, the most gratifying thing for me during that hour, an hour, 20 minutes of taping, is when I look at the audience and I see no one on their smartphone.
3: Yes. I love that feeling. I love (laughs) it.
0: I love the being together. I know this is going to sound hokey. I love that. I love that in this environment of content everywhere and content kind of coming out like a, a broken fire hydrant, that people are willing to give me that hour and hour and change and get together and in a communal environment and and share and learn and give me a chance to do that. I never take that for granted. You know, that's why we're doing this heavy lift with this variety of, of shows from the fullest disclosure down to half disclosure or whatever you want to do. I even do with our NPR station, Radio IQ, I do the full disclosure briefing every Tuesday. We do like a little description and here and now have me on and at the risk of sounding long-winded, that's what's changed so much. Claire, when I came here originally, and you and I worked together for the first time 10 years ago, it was very much an environment where you would go and work at the studio on an ISDN line. And that's just not the case anymore. We're all remote, we're using this stuff to the best of our abilities. There's no shame in having someone like a Kevin Griffin on virtually, he had a book, he did a a kind of a theme song for us at the very time. That was so exciting. He just
1: surprised us with that.
0: Yeah. Forget about Better Than Ezra. I mean, I'm not even a a major Better Than Ezra fan. I faintly remember them kind of, you know, you hear them in a Walgreens or a CVS, whatever you're in there, and I associate them with the mid-90s. But the fact that he is a mentor and an investor in music talent... This is kind of transcended. You know, we're going to have the chairman of Gibson Guitars on, uh, Nat Mm -hmm. Zilka, who's doing this and giving artists more agency and creative control where people are buying back their libraries or they're selling them and doing other things. I think there's definitely a business sense to these things. We talked, Case, about having Roy Thomas Baker on. Right. This is the guy who produced the cars in Queens and he's legendary. Can you imagine the fun we could have with A.V. in that episode?
3: I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled. That would be incredible. I think that there's so much to having these musicians on because musicians impact a lot of the political and cultural landscape, especially in Richmond. Whether it's a local band, whether it's a national or international band, whether it's a signed band, whether it's an unsigned band, you know what? It doesn't matter as long as you like it because what I want to hear is you asking the questions no one else is asking. Everyone there has, a, has an interest, a passion, and that alone is cool.
0: Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. I am pleased to be joined by Claire Morgan and Case Graham of Notterly, my creative co-conspirators, in this episode of Indulgent Introspection. I don't even know what the heck we're going to call it. We're on the brink of something big with major live shows, but we're also going to have new form factors, if you will, of full disclosure. And you know I've been using uh, Ronald Jenke's guitar sound for the longest time. We were using Silver Sun pickups, uh, Lazy Eye, and various other tracks, I might ask Pete Yorn to use Policies. It's one that I'd love to use the guitar thing for the beginning of. Um, You have ideas for kind of a music workup. Talk to me.
1: Yeah, we stayed up late last night having fun recording different ideas with guitars and keyboards. And I was listening to guitar sound and discovered that it reminded me, at least theme and variation-wise, the chord progression can fit within another song's chord progression. This is going to be a fun name that tune for you, Robin. All right. It's two songs. It's like a mashup. And, you know, let me know if, if you recognize the song. And this is going to be the first track on your SoundCloud <laughs> playlist.
0: Such great heights with guitar sound.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. It was fun. You know, it's, it's not a perfect fit, but it's a, it fits enough, you know.
0: It's fun. I get to try the second one?
1: Yeah, so the second one is what I'm proposing it's my demo for the new intro this is the guitar idea i had last night and threw it together
0: and you are the composer
1: yeah yeah i kind of messing around i got a, a drum beat and i was kind of playing around on the guitar case has this guitar that's in a drop open tuning so i hadn't really played in that tuning just kind of fumbling around and that's what i came up with
0: Oh, I like it. gusta. I love it. I really like this one. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> awesome.
1: Good, good. You were up all night churning this out. Yeah, we were, we were having we were having fun
3: if We're going to have more I think one of the things that listeners are going to hear Is there's going to be a lot more music involved in the podcast We floated the idea that if we have a musical guest on Or someone who would like to go ahead and make an unique intro <laughs> I think mean,
0: Kevin Griffin yeah. did that It's a full disclosure You it's guys could splice that in I was like, wow
3: It's a business of culture It's a culture of business it's
0: a business of culture. It's a culture of business, yeah. It's
3: a business of culture.
0: It's a culture of business. Yeah. It's a business
3: or yeah. yeah, so I mean they could do it live and we could just make it into the intro. I it's yeah. just it's been super fun to work on. And so, I mean, thank you for being open to so many of these insane ideas that we
1: have. Yeah.
0: And to, to give you guys a window into my mind, kind of the, the way it works is, as you know, I come from an investing background and I covered Wall Street for Business Week and other publications for quite some time. And the one most important thing you can learn in business school and investing, and I know it sounds like an old man telling you to drink milk and stay in school and do pushups, but diversification is a lesson of nature. Uh, The only free lunch you can get in finance is if you try to buy, in theory, like if you put all your money in one stock or one house or everything, you could lose everything. You could lose your shirt. Of course, it could go up to a trillion dollars like Tesla and you could be a millionaire. But the chances are you're not going to do well. And there are people out there that say the best I could do is the Standard & Poor's 500. I could pick 500 of the most representative big companies in the United States. And if one or two go bankrupt or if they fall by the wayside, it's not going to break me. And over time, I'll do very well compounded. But the absolute best, they tell you in business school, in theory, if you could buy every asset in the world at an efficient price, I mean I'm talking about alpacas in Peru, avocados in Mexico, things that zig when others zag. That is the best way to get a risk-adjusted return, the efficient frontier. This is a long but you can't do that in in practice, you'd have to pay all these sherpas and transaction fees and flying around the world and it would eat your returns. But when you guys say that I'm open to things because I realize that Diversification, creative diversification is good for me. It's good for the listener. It's good for inclusivity. It's good for the widest possible grab and appeal to listeners. Look, I can volley the serve with straight up investors and I can bore both of you and my parents to death. Um, I can walk out. I've hosted Bloomberg Radio before, but it's not what I'm trying to appeal to. I'm trying to bridge kind of the low market, high market stuff, make things accessible and surprising for a wide base of listeners to not be elitist, to not be indulgent. That's kind of why I went into this. You know, what motivated the immigrant kid me? I was born in Iran, as you know. I came here in 1978. And I think I got the first inkling in me to become a a journalist when I'd get off the school bus and explain things to mom and dad who... We're amazed, like, wow, our son's off on second grade, and he could sing It's a Small World After All, and he could say the Pledge of Allegiance. And that was a rush for me, explaining things to my parents. And it's still a rush to this day. Not mansplaining, but I'm learning something, and you, dear listener, are learning with me right yeah and it's a real treat to have you join me and to be with me and give me an hour of your time every week and especially if we do this live and you buy a ticket and you come out and you get a babysitter do you see what I'm saying
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah I want to create the next great I would say but in the past I wanted to create the next great public radio show but all of this is flattening I mean which great podcast, you know, that doesn't have a YouTube channel, that doesn't have an Insta presence. It's not a nefarious thing I'm doing. I'm legitimately interested in these things and curious about them. And I love learning things alongside my creative co-producers here. But people who reach out and say, I really appreciate how you asked someone about this mental health crisis. I felt the universality in that, that wow, a captain of industry had that. And you went and you tapped that. I mean, these are the things that motivate me. Certainly none of us are in this for the huge money-making capability, but it's a chance to learn and share every week. And hopefully this goes on. And if not, I can always open up this uh, Persian food truck that I, you know, in the worst case scenario, I think I call it a Farsi Cola is the name.
3: I think you should do that anyways. That sounds amazing. Close us out, Case. (laughs) Close us out. Um, I think that uh, this has been wonderful.
0: As I say to many guests, I feel like I should give you a therapy co-payment for this.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll that's... tax
0: the copayment onto your production thing this week. Consider it overtime. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think that this is going to be just the most exciting chapter that we could ever have hoped for. So this will be fun.
0: I'm excited, guys. And just to plug it by way of bumper before I have my brother on again, full disclosure live resumes in September with Chef Sonny Bawija. He's a James Beard semifinalist of Le ja, telling the story where. We're calling it, cutely, It's Always Sunny in Richmond. That's September 14th at the University of Robbins Business School, uh, meal included. I told him, just surprise us, knock us out, which you should see how people are excited when there's a deliverable, like a concert or a comedy act or a meal. Wow, it's 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 so great, and the, the smell just makes you high. In October, we're going to have Steve Inskeep talking about his new book. He's NPR's Morning Edition host. He has a book on Lincoln and keeping the nation united into uh, Lincoln's assassination. Following that is going to be Rashida Jones, the president of MSNBC. She's actually a Richmonder. She's the first African-American to run a cable news network. And a big one in December at Maudlin, the gorgeous performing arts space in Richmond. Secretary Pete Buttigieg on December 1st. And we have a bunch of other honking shows planned for January and beyond, but I'm not allowed to talk to you about them yet, and I know Case is working on them, so... (laughs) Guys, I'm I'm super excited. Please be tough with me. Give me tough love. Thanks for putting up with me and let's uh let's get some Chinese.
1: Yes, please. Yes.
0: Full disclosure stay with us. Full disclosure podcast to NPR, Spotify and of course Apple Podcasts. The link, please subscribe and rave about us is fulldradio.com. Again, fulldradio.com. A lot of great live shows coming up including Lejas, Chef Sonny Bowiija Stevens, keep of NPR, Rashida Jones, the president of MSNBC and then a huge one in December with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg at the University of Richmond's Modlin Center. You can get tickets, get access, learn more about them on all my socials. The handle is full D radio. Join us. If you're just joining us, we're doing this special introspective episode of Full Disclosure where we look at the path behind us and the path ahead. Full Disclosure is about to take many new forms, including the live shows, including uh, snippet shows, which I'm going to divulge and share with you over the next coming weeks. As promised, joining us from Miami is my kid brother, Ronnie Farzad. He's principal at Spark Cooperative. It is a hospitality design and technology consulting firm. You guys loved the episode last year when I had him on over the summer. We called it My Brother and My Mentor because, as I explain with my producers, this is what I do. I go out with my brother when I'm in Miami. We go to Flanagan's. We have long phone conversations, and I tap his wisdom because he has the entrepreneurial streak. I don't. Did I summarize all that correctly, Ronnie?
2: I think you summarized it well, and I'm not sure I'd agree with all of it, but- I'm happy to be back and I enjoyed doing the last one so thanks for having me back.
0: Look, that was a worthwhile risk as I've said to my creative co-conspirators, uh Claire and Case that people could have taken that as kind of indulgent or lazy or you're trying to plug your brother's business which was not the case. I thought, you know, one of the big through lines in this show is a kind of a vulnerability and a transparency where um You know, and I think it was made famous by that, what is it, startup podcast where he explained, of course, he went off and sold it for $200 million, you know, Gimlet uh, to Spotify, and they wrote down the value of that, but that's neither here nor there. I have been doing this now for nine years, and you've been giving me praise and tough love and encouragement and nudging throughout. And the most recent episode of this was our first big live show back. In May at Charlottesville, we had Face the Nation moderator Margaret Brennan at the historic Paramount Theater. The
3: parties are redefining themselves. People are trying to figure out who America is in the world right now, in a world that is changing, and who we are as a country. I think these are really tough conversations and that you're seeing them play out within the parties in some very specific ways in the form of humans asking to be the embodiment of that vision, right? And they have different visions of it.
0: And you watched it with cold brotherly eyes, and we went out for breakfast the following morning. And you told me, look, you know, the bottleneck is not your passion for this and doing these things. You can pull them off, but are you paying attention to detail? You called out my wrinkle-free shirt, which was oh, great. Come on, because you, you know don't I, make didn't, me feel I didn't bad. notice. Don't make small me feel things. bad. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Look, I'm opening this up to everybody. But you saw something, and you saw the power of something. But you also love me enough and care enough about me to give me the tough love. And, you know, you said you'd get called out by a prospective client if you had a Google voice number or a Gmail address, or if you didn't pay attention to certain details, nobody would take you and your consultancy seriously with the big boys. And you said that applied to my show as well. Discuss.
2: Yeah. So we actually, we still, my my firm and my partner and I, Charlie, who's one of my best friends, uh, we still run off a Google voice number. It's actually been eight plus years out of Google voice stuff or I'll have you know um, you know, we do get emails at a proper, uh, company email address, but with regards to phone calls, we don't get many of those at the company line. Um, I, you know, I, I say what I say and I feel what I feel for people I love. Right. And I have other non-family members. I have friends who are entrepreneurs and I just, um, it's not tough love. It's just honesty. Right. And it's been the best thing for us in the eight plus years we've been around. You've occasionally get a client or a mentor who is open and honest with you about not where you're strong where you don't need, you know, praise but where you're weak and and I I love it personally. That's the best stuff for me. I appreciate that you took it from the right angle from the right vantage point which was given with love because I care and I think you've got something special going and I know what you're great at. I know where you don't want to focus or where you don't want to spend your time too. So that's why I can be honest with you. I don't so think- yeah,
0: let's let's put it out there for the world. I mean, to the extent that anybody but mom listens to this podcast, let's put it <laughs> out there. You have a few I more listeners.
2: Come on. love it. Come
0: on. I love it when the mic is hot. I love it as you saw at the Paramount Theater, when I'm there with someone as dynamic as Margaret Brennan, who's covered finance, who's covered Wall Street, foreign affairs, politics, and... And you can even make it about her entrepreneurial journey. And it's very unique. Yes. And she has a weakness for Charlottesville and that audience, everything. I don't much care for the biz dev stuff, which drains me. Yes. I don't really care for the logistical mic check stuff, which drains me. Um, Even the attention to detail stuff, the wrinkle-free shirt. I mean, I have not given much consideration to, to attire or wardrobe during the pandemic because we're doing all this stuff remotely. I do my TV appearances remotely, but... Yours was kind of a reality check. Like, either you're serious about this or it's a hobby. Talk to me more about that.
2: Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So I do. I feel it's it's tough for me to say all this stuff in a public forum, right? Um, but
0: that's what people want, man. I'm putting it out there.
2: Okay. Yeah. So I I personally feel when you are the brand and you are the brand, right? You're you're the full disclosure brand. To me, the full disclosure brand is the way people feel in your events, and it's the things they see, right? That's what it is. Um, It's the time they get alone with you in the car when they're listening to the podcast, right? It's the way it's the way they they feel. It's the things they see. And I I went down the list. I thought to myself, you know, we're in this gorgeous theater in Charlottesville. I, I have not been to a theater like that. That was really special, right? And you had some of your biggest fans in the audience, and you had Margie Brennan up on stage, who I thought was phenomenal, right? And I thought it was a great idea for an event and. I've always felt with you, and I've said this to you, you are in your element when you are in front of a crowd or talking to a person. And I I I went down the list, right? I kind of audited the event. And I said to myself, where are we strong and where are we weak? And I said, from the position of what it does really well is all those things, right? Engaging conversation, the perfect questions, fans that care, beautiful venue, all those things are there. And I said to myself, "So, so what's not there? And unfortunately, it's, I guess that's the critical eye that I have. It's not because I want to have it, but, you know, I want to help. And I said to you what I felt. And those are the things that I feel, um, can help and can matter, right? Um, and I, we've talked about it before, right? People roll their eyes at the concept of marketing. What's marketing, right? Um, and what's going to get, you know, butts in seats for events, um, and, and, and that sort of thing. What's going to differentiate you? And I share some of that and, I'm not saying I have the answer, but certainly I look out there and I see what the production level is of other things, and so I know things on that, that I watch. seize right? on
0: that for a minute, right? We're in this period, and this is something we've covered intensely, and even very recently with Disney and all these various assets for sales, such as ABC and ESPN struggling. The content broadly, is being just smashed to bits. You think about the long tail, and that was at the Chris Anderson prediction. Yes. Increasingly, people are going to YouTube, which you have a YouTube premium account. You're just going a la carte and seeing someone like who you and I both admire, Marques Brownlee, MKBHD, who's become generationally probably the most critical tech reviewer. This young guy, I think he was at Stevens Tech or something in New Jersey, who people are just going to when maybe in a past life they would have gone to Walt Mossberg in the Wall Street Journal or waited for someone on the Today Show to review products. Now they're going directly to this person who has really high-def video, really nicely cut video, really nice – optics and an editor doing it and gets quite a bit of revenue from YouTube, I imagine, is all the millions of people coming to him. On top of the fact that he does a podcast, he goes on Rogan, he probably gets all these other ancillary speaking fees and everything. He's a real content machine, a franchise unto himself. You encourage me to branch out and look at this more dimensionally, not just the 2D world of, well, my podcast Every week and radio versus the live show, you're saying, "Where is your video element? Not just a camcorder in the back, but really intense shots. Where are the snippets? Where are the smaller pieces? Where's the yeah.
2: engagement? Is it wrong to say I feel that if you're you have an expertise and you have connections, I think you've built the ability to get to people, to guests that I could have never imagined you would get to. Right? You've had some incredible people on the show, so." From the vantage point of, if we're talking purely about monetization, right? And we're speaking purely from a perspective of trying to get people to see and hear what you're putting out there and to make money off of that, right? If that's the vantage point, I know that's not No, the, but the, actually, the only in this point.
0: case, let me pause. It's not quite the vantage point yet. I'm saying table stakes. I'm saying you can't just have a podcast anymore. That it's, right. it's standard for you to be on Spotify or NPR One and these things. Yes. You have to be, you have to, it's not optional for you to have a YouTube presence, not just a 72480 YouTube presence. You have to have a high def. Nicely edited YouTube presence. You have to have shorter pieces. You have to have yes, really yes. catchy excerpts on Insta, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Um, this It's it's binary. Either you do it, and if you don't do it, it's a hobby.
2: So John Mayer did a really good piece. I know you're not prob- probably not a John Mayer fan, but he did a really good piece on songwriting. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but John Mayer has pop songs, and John Mayer is also touring with the Grateful Dead band, right? And John Mayer is also a uh, highly vaulted and respected blues guitarist, right? One of the best of our generation. And how can someone exist in three different, three different areas of the Venn diagram? And he did um, a songwriting academy on what it takes to make a pop song. And he was just educating people. You know, this is exactly what a pop song format wise. This is what a pop song needs to be. And I'm not going to get it right, but he says, it's got to be under four minutes. It's got to have two verses, two courses. Um, probably has to have a bridge, right? Probably needs to have a lick like this. And he's just laying it out there. And when you start talking about things that are made for specific audiences or for specific mediums, I do think they have to have a level of production. They have to have a level of catchiness. They have a reason why people want to share them, right? Like you're talking about Marquise Brownlee. He created that video about solar and that was a, that was a 30 minute video, but that has been shared all over my WhatsApp groups on kind of what was the ROI of his solar thing. And that's two years in the making yeah, yeah, with really nifty graphics. You know, you look at his videos and he's a handsome guy. He's well-dressed. The background and the angle, the lighting is perfect. The audio is perfect. The editing is like, you know, you want to watch it, right? So for me, you're right that we are living through a time where even the most beautifully created Disney plus and max productions and, Um, Apple TV productions, we're living through a glut of content, absolutely. But I think the, the stuff that gets to the forefront, particularly on YouTube, is the stuff that is intensely studied and scientifically made for one of those audiences in the long tail. And I think I am one of those. I do more watching on YouTube, as I've told you, than I do elsewhere. I watch through playlists and I get into these niche topics and I'm just fanatical about those things. And I have other friends who are the same.
0: You are of the mind that I cannot really grow... Uh, the podcast and make it relevant and and sustain it through this disruption of terrestrial radio and linear TV. Unless I am across platforms again, this is, this goes to the binary nature of it. Either you are or you are not pregnant.
2: So I like that you're putting me on the spot, and I'm just going to say it from a different direction. I'm of the mind that you are really great at many things, and one of the things you're great at is creating content. And one of the things you lack awareness of and are not able to see, especially with the podcast, are analytics. You can't see when someone stops listening to your podcast at what minute. You can't understand what is working and what's not working unless people give you that verbal, right? You said that our episode was highly listened, but you can't tell me how many listens and you can't tell me what aspects of it people enjoyed and what they didn't, right? Right. So what I know when when you create for YouTube, right, it's iterative, And I know, look, I'm not, I'm absolutely not a digital content creator. You know that my firm doesn't do that. That's not what I specialize in, but I look out there and I see what I see with my eyes and I see people who test a B test. They get a sense of what works as a video thumbnail, how long videos need to be, what time of day to launch videos at, what drops off. And I think to myself, you know, if you had to bake that cake, what are the missing ingredients that you have? And are the missing ingredients the ideas? I don't think so. I think you have amazing ideas. I think you're an incredible interviewer. I think you've you've pitched different video ideas to me in the past. Um, but w- what I feel you lack is the production and the discipline to learn from the analytics and and test and be told that what you know. I, maybe it's a fear thing of putting stuff out there that's not being watched.
0: Well, right. here's the here's the interesting thing in the development with it. Uh, one, the frustration of the analytics, as I told you, is if you're a public radio person. And my show, as you guys know, runs on NPR member station uh, Radio IQ, NPR adjacent. I'm on Here and Now every week. There are some uh, low power public radio stations that carry the show as well. But by no means am I am I trying to kind of Drive this by looking in the rear view mirror. Overwhelmingly, an NPR audience is older, a terrestrial radio audience. We know that how you and I consume stuff, how our generation and Gen Y and younger consume stuff, is overwhelmingly to podcasts. And increasingly, people are consuming podcasts on YouTube. They want to see the video element of it. I wanted to tell you about my producers, Case and Claire. We're going to be rolling out various versions of this show. Let's have the working title of the honking live show. Think Pete Buttigieg at the University of Richmond with audio, with the full 1080, whatever, 4K documentary. Let's call that working title Fullest Disclosure, okay? (laughs) Fuller disclosure you saw was Kevin Griffin of Better Than Ezra, where you have a decent kind of split screen. We could send good cameras and he records that. You get the video, the music production, everything. I might try it with sonic, and others and certain comedians or Maz Jibrani. And Full Disclosure is the standard podcast and radio show, which you hear every week. There's going to be something else we have that the working title is Half Disclosure, where they have two incredible digital road mics that are like little lapels, um, look like garage door openers, and you walk with people. And provide kind of fifteen minute snippet conversations which will also be videoed for YouTube, so the suggestion and the criticism they had is you need you have your your cupboard is bare and you need to start putting out various uh iterations of things on YouTube on Soundcloud on iTunes stuff that ends up on radio doesn't end up on radio goes straight to the podcast queue uh, just to make the entire experience more sticky and indispensable. What do you say
2: yeah, I say with with one huge caveat. And I think it's a great idea. And I love that you're being coached to to do more on the video side. And I absolutely will watch with my YouTube premium account. As long as you're able to listen and learn from what is out there and working, I think absolutely, right? Like you, I've said it to you before, like you have a talent. I love watching. I love listening to you. I love watching you live. And I just feel like your audience isn't only sitting in the car for a 52 minute podcast, right? Or coming to your live show. I feel like they're everywhere, and there's so much that you can give with your talents and I'd love to I'd love to watch that I know others would as well
0: give me and the few minutes we have left with you dear younger brother Ronnie principal of Spark Cooperative in Miami and again, I'm not doing this out of indulgence. I'm doing this out of uh, vulnerability. Everybody loved that episode last year. My brother, my mentor. And I like for you guys, listeners, to be a fly on the wall because I always ask my brother. I always, these rides to the airport. Sometimes the conversations have been so intense that you've taken a second turn around the departures area to, to keep you know drilling the point into my head. Where else should this go in 2023? And we are in, in kind of unabated disruption and a glut of content and media and subscriber fatigue and podcast fatigue and login fatigue. What do you want to see out of Full Disclosure?
2: Ooh, that's a great question. I'd have to have a thought about that. But what I do know is I have sat down with my daughters. Um, my older daughter is interested in School of Rock. I don't know if you have those up yeah, in yeah. Richmond. Uh-huh. So she's interested in School of Rock. And just in in researching School of Rock, Both of my daughters have made me play the video of the School of Rock students performing the final countdown by Europe um, 20 to 25 times, right? So when I think about the musicality aspect of what you have, right, if I go back in time and I could see the Silver Sun pickups live session and see it broken up into the snippets of that amazing audio that I've listened to so many times now, and if I could just microdose those... I would be so over, I would be so all over that, man. I don't know if you remember the Mojo TV thing that they used oh, to yeah, have. Oh, yeah,
0: of course. I mean,
2: give me that, and I don't even need it with the same level of production, but give me the best audio, right? And give me ca- give me like cameras, a few cameras in that room, and a few engaging questions with them between the songs. I would microdose that all day, and, and nonstop. And so what, what would I like to see more of? I mean, I'm a music guy. Right. What about the version? What about the other people out there who want to see more of that um, with other facets of life that I think you can bring? And I just think there's a lot there. I would love that. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, music, cuisine, comedy. These are things where I believe that for the fullest disclosure at the very least, and it scales with the fullest disclosure and the fuller disclosure. You can have them with the big honking production at the University of Richmond's Performing Arts Center. I've pitched Pete Yorn. The Hives are talking to us about doing this in New York at a struggling concert venue. That is kind of when you bring the entire circus to town and vice versa. Right. But right. I think there's a great potential with the Fuller Disclosure – like. I've been pitching Semisonic for years. That's a very important band to me. It's music, the story. You've heard them on Song Exploder. Jacob Slichter, the drummer, wrote an incredible book called So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star. And it would be a great kind of capstone valedictory thing for me to interview this band. And I would think to do it over the fuller disclosure, if we control for the videography and the mics and everything on both ends it would live it would have a a great lifespan on whatever the uh, the medium becomes there are times by the way when there are conversations like 10 15 minute walking conversations with people go ahead
2: i think when we're talking about 10 or 15 minutes i think my advice and maybe i'm just that elder millennial with a very very short attention span but i watch i want you talked about culinary right food and beverage I follow Epicurious on YouTube. I watch these three minute and 25 second videos by the, by the chef Frank Proto. I don't know if you know him. Uh I have much, I must have watched 45 of these videos. The series is all about how to make the best X. That's all it is. Three and a half minutes. How do I make the best scrambled eggs? Right. I've watched so many of these. How to make the best salmon? It's a three minute video. Right. So I think the other thing to think about is as we're, as you're venturing into this new medium, Is how do you, instead of taking the content that's already being created for stage or podcast or whatever might be out there already, how do you take those moments that you're gonna have anyway and create unique content that actually works really well for YouTube transactionally? Because sometimes people just wanna, and I think that's tough. You're gonna have these moments. What are all the types of content you could pull out of there? And some are gonna be great live, and some would actually work much better on YouTube transactionally and people will watch them over and
0: over. You're right. It's hard. It's hard for a long-form person, but always yes. the best thing editors would tell you, you need to kill your angels. I know that sounds graphic, but What's that mean? Well, you got to go in and you have to, you know, you have all these adverbs and turns of phrase and transitional devices and you hand in a 5000-word feature story when you have a 2200-word budget. And you need you need to kill your angels. Of course, you want everybody wants to do the 5000-word thing, but A lot of times the attention span is for a 750 word piece or somebody might be looking for a little kind of bonbon or palate cleanser on YouTube where it's just the chef showing you scrambled eggs. Of course, I don't do that well, but there could be that on the cutting room floor. There could be these parenthetical asides or conversations or really amazing things. Like I imagine somebody filming you at that coffee shop in Charlottesville giving me tough love about my regal free shirt. And you know what? I'm an open book about that. I don't care. I don't need to impress anyone. I'm a, you know, 47 year old suburban dad. But my point is, is that in closing, Brosophine, and I would have you on for mm-hmm. hours, but again, we don't want to get too indulgent. Um, we are at the foot of something. The show is about to take up an evolution with various different form factors. And I hope. Uh, you'll continue being uh, tough and loving with me. I hope you'll come to the shows. I hope you'll revisit the show as a, as a friend in the neighborhood because, again, I was shocked last year at all the people that said you should really have him on regularly.
2: Mm, that's that's really flattering and I will watch on YouTube as well or or X or wherever you end up. I, have, I guarantee you I will watch, but it's got to be good content for me to
0: subscribe. Thank you, Brotato. I love you.
2: Love you mucho. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Full disclosure, a special thanks to Claire Morgan and Case Graham at Notterly. Indeed, you just met them. If you are listening to us on the radio, note that while we often cut for broadcast length, the entirety of every interview is available on podcast. The link, please subscribe and rate us, is FullDRadio.com. Again, FullDRadio.com. And follow along on all the socials at handle handleFullDRadio. A shout out to our listeners on NPR member station Radio IQ, down in North Carolina on WPVM, and out in California on KPPQ. Message me if you'd like to carry full disclosure on your air. Stay tuned for a roster of big live events at the University of Richmond's Robin School, including NPR Steve Inskeep, Chef Sonny Boija of Leja, and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And catch me every week on both MSNBC and NPR's Here and Now. I'm Robin Farzad. Thank you for listening, and back with you next week. I'll be a private dancer, a dancing dancer dancing for money. money. You do, do what you want me to do. That's like, come on. <laughs> uh, All right, yeah. All right, case your turn. Oh,
3: man. Okay. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was thoroughly entertained, though.